0: This podcast discusses violence, drug use, and other adult themes. Listener discretion is advised.
1: Welcome back to Breaking Pod, everybody. As always, I'm joined on the other line by my co-host, co-founder of this podcast, Zach. Zach, how are you?
0: I'm doing well, Josh, but I am more curious to hear about how you are doing. And congratulations, of course, are in order. Since the last, last time we recorded, uh, you have uh, had a baby girl. So congratulations. That's right. And Thank my you. question is, how are you doing? Are you getting enough sleep?
1: Yes. Yeah, so I was looking. The last time we recorded, we recorded the last two episodes of season three. It was on May 16th, which was a Saturday, just you know, 36 hours later. I had a new baby and we're getting, we're getting some sleep. She's doing better and better. And you know, you, you, I think you forget, this is our, our second child. I think you forget like the sleepless nights once they start sleeping and our toddler sleeps very well and you're reminded very quickly. And I've always said that I think it changes very rapidly for, for the for the man in the relationship, because the woman carries the child for nine months and her, you know, she physically changes, but for the, for the man, other than doing, you know, maybe more housework or heavy lifting or, you know, helping with the other kids, things are pretty much business as usual until the baby comes. So it it really is, you know, right when the baby comes, it, it changes very quickly, but, but things are well and, and everybody's healthy. So we cannot complain.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with you. That's been my experience as well. There was a bit of system shock when the baby arrives. Yeah. Uh, for my part, though, I remember when our when our first daughter was born, being really surprised at how well I was able to function on little to no sleep.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: And so I think like I think God gives God gives little graces to new parents like that, and He's just like, you know what, you are not normally someone who can function on little <laughs> to no sleep, but but you're going to be able to for the next month or so because you yeah. need to. You have no choice but yeah. to function.
1: <laughs> You definitely get through it. So yeah, we're doing well and, you know, we are back to recording and I'm excited to jump into season four of Breaking Bad. Zach, before we jump into this episode, which is titled Box Cutter, we got a little bit of listener feedback, and I will let you read the note that we got from this person. But we were excited to get uh, some fan mail, I guess, for lack of a better term. So, uh, the person who wrote in uh, asked a question or sort of gave a, an opinion, and so we wanted to read that and discuss it a little bit before we talk about box cutter. Zach, do you want to read what she wrote? Yeah, sure. So
0: first of all, shout out to Alana for reaching out and giving this, uh, giving us some things to think about. Um, Alana wants to engage with the central question that we've talked about Josh is Walter White a good man or a bad man uh, was he a, a bad man who's always been bad and only grows more bad throughout the show or is he you know fundamentally a good man at the beginning and through a series of uh, consequential decisions um, bad decisions but you know very consequential bad decisions becomes the man that we see you know at, at, a, at a point like this in the show. And so uh, so Alana says, um, first of all, I'm a huge fan of Breaking Bad and a regular listener of the podcast. Thank you, Alana. Uh, I appreciate your commentary on one of the best shows in television history and love all of your insight into the show. Could not agree with you about this being could not agree with you more about this being one of the best shows in television history. So we're on the same page there for sure. Uh, And then Alana says, and this is this is where it gets really good. I love this. um, I love this uh, feedback here. Love this thinking. I just wanted to put in my two cents about an ongoing discussion you guys have had throughout the podcast about one topic in particular, whether Walt has always been an evil man. I have to say that I can't entirely agree with this notion, primarily because going back to the first season, we see Walt struggle to make the hard choice to kill Crazy Eight, even in self-defense. And we see him be disgusted by all the violence that comes with the meth game. I think that while Walt was not a saint at the start, to say he was always this evil person somewhat dismisses the journey his character takes throughout the whole series. Walt changes for the worse and becomes an evil man by the end, but I don't think he starts as one. I think he becomes desensitized to his actions over time and loses the ability to care about what he once did. Even though Walt has always been selfish and obsessed with control, I don't believe that made him evil in season one. I see Walt as very enigmatic and multi-layered. He'll risk everything, even continuing the meth business, to save Jesse's life, and immediately after he will kill Gail to keep working in the meth business. In my opinion, if he was flat-out evil from the beginning, I don't think he would be as complicated or engaging a character as he is. That's where the, the feedback ends, and I think it's it's really, really good. There's a lot of stuff to think about in there, Josh, but what is your uh, your first thought looking at that uh, that note from Alana? What do you think?
1: Well, first of all, I want to say thank you for the detailed uh, note to us. You know, I think you could have easily just written something short, and I appreciate the thought that you put into this feedback for us. I think that... I, I definitely agree with with the last part here that the character simply wouldn't be as engaging if the if the person was flat out evil. I think that a multi-layered multifaceted person is just generally uh, a more interesting person to watch, especially over a multi-season show. I do think that that. Going back to season, I'm trying to remember what I had initially said because we posed this question on the very first episode we did. I think I had said that he was not always an evil person that, you know, the circumstances turned him into a bad person. So if that's the case, if that's the case, then thank you, Alana, for backing me up because I was sort of getting off of that train as we've gone further and further into the show. But, you know, you've you've helped me to to realize that maybe I wasn't incorrect to begin with. So, Zach, what did you think about her feedback here? Yeah, so I actually think... Well, f-
0: first of all, as I look at this name, I might be pronouncing it incorrectly. So, I'm sorry if that's the case. It's A-L-A-N-A. Very well could be Elena uh, in addition oh my to gosh. Alana. I don't know.
1: We're um, never going to get feedback again. <laughs> I know, right?
0: <laughs> so, uh, We're sorry. Alana, If it's Elena, Elena I'm sorry yes? if I'm mispronouncing this, but thank you so much for your feedback. Uh, I think I'm actually... I'm more convinced um, by Alana's feedback than uh, anything you've ever said, Josh. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding.
1: Uh, no, <laughs> All right. I've, I've been <laughs> replaced. I'm being replaced as co-host of Breaking
0: Pod. So, I mean, going back to the first episode when we talked about this, Josh, I was very much of the opinion that Walt's well, always been evil. You were of the opinion that that it, it, there's more to it than that, right? Not to say that he hasn't always had bad parts in him, but uh, he had a lot of good in him and he sort of uh, descends throughout the course of the show. I am now, I think, more on that side. And part of it is, is um, actually the Crazy Eight scene that Alana mentions here when Walt really, really struggles with killing Crazy Eight. There was It was not as if he was like, well, Crazy Eight's threatening me. I just need to kill him, period. No, he really, really agonized over that decision time and time again. Same thing with, with every momentous decision he's had since then. I mean, we can point to another very pivotal moment where he watches Jane die. He's conflicted about it, and he, you know, covers his 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 face and starts crying right after it happens. So it's not as if he has no scruples whatsoever. There, there is a sort of a complicated layering going on. I think the the contention at which I'm arriving now, and this this is maybe something that Alana would agree with, or that you would agree with, Josh, is that it's important to recognize that Walt wasn't starting from a place of pure innocence, right? So, in other words. This show is not about how, like our decisions can take us from a place of complete sanctity to a place of, of complete desolation, but rather that, like the the constant pull towards darkness exists within us, that we are to some degree corrupted at the beginning uh, of our lives, and that you know all that it takes is a series of conscious or even unconscious decisions to get us down a path that Walter White descends in this show. But all that to say, I think that Alana brings up really good points and I agree with everything and your feedback throughout our discussions, Josh and Alana's here is really making me kind of recant my previous position that he starts out evil. I think I think he starts out with evil in him. Right. But but the point of the show, the point, the the lesson for us from the show is that we all start out that way. Right. And, And and none of us is immune from being Walter White in that sense.
1: Yeah, I wanna I wanna point out one more thing in her feedback here that I'd not really thought about, but makes a lot of sense. She talks about how she thinks he becomes desensitized to his actions over time, and I think that when you look back over what we've seen him do, he does seem to be a little bit more comfortable with things as we go along, and I think that that is. Possibly something that you could find in real life as well. Someone who, you know, commits a, you know, a little, uh, they steal something from, uh, you know, a a convenience store, a a candy bar. Well, then the next time they might steal two candy bars. Then they might, you know, feel, uh, you know, comfortable stealing uh, something from a department store, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that that's certainly something you see with Walt as we go on. So the crazy eight thing. He was very conflicted. The Jane thing. He was conflicted, but maybe less so. You know, he you saw him react to the plane crash over Albuquerque. He wasn't really that conflicted or beat up about that. And so, as we've gone on up to the point where he orders Jesse essentially to go and kill Gail, you know, he is very resolute in his decision. It's sort of like life and death. There, you we've got to make a decision. Previously, you might have seen him. You know not be as as uh, not be as resolute in doing something like that
0: yeah i totally agree and alana thanks so much for the feedback really appreciate it really enjoy having the, the opportunity to sort of uh peel the onion back a little bit on these discussions because this is why breaking bad is such a great show this is why i love it because it helps us have conversations about these types of things and think about these things that are really worth thinking about and help us ultimately at the end of the day i hope become better human beings
1: yeah, so we're going to jump into box cutter and we usually uh, save this for the end But since we just talked about listener feedback if anybody has feedback they want to send to us Please email us at breakingpod at vernacularpodcast.com And we would be happy to discuss it on the show And you can also send us voice memos or whatever. We'll play, uh, you know what you send So we look forward to more listener feedback. Zach, are you ready for the two-minute wikipedia summary of box cutter? Oh, you know, i'm so ready josh Okay, I'm looking at this outline. It's very short. It's so short this time. I mean, usually we've got two paragraphs. This might be a one-minute summary.
0: You know, I was trolling on the season four Wikipedia page where we pulled these, um, and season four summaries look to be, on average, shorter than previous summaries that we've done. So I think we can expect this to be a trend that will continue.
1: Okay, well, here we go. The two-minute summary, which could be a one-minute summary. Walt and Jesse are held in the lab by Victor and Mike, anxiously awaiting Gus's reaction to the murder of Gail. Skylar fears the worst when she can't get a hold of Walt. Saul is paranoid about bugs, wiretaps, and surveillance, and hires a personal bodyguard. Hank struggles with life at home after his injury, snapping at Marie and becoming more preoccupied with collecting and cataloging minerals. Gus arrives, sees Victor is cooking, changes into a lab suit, slits Victor's throat with a box cutter, then changes back to his work clothes and tells Walt and Jesse to get back to work. Okay, that's the end of the summary. Wow. Zach, what do you think about this summary? I give this summary a C minus. Yeah, not great. I mean, totally. We, I mean, the last 10 minutes aren't even discussed in right, the Exactly. When you start off, by the way,
0: with a passive voice sentence, you can't get higher than a <laughs> C plus. And then when you take one of the most drama filled scenes ever in Breaking Bad, and I'm talking, of course, about Gus wordlessly donning the chemical suit... In order to wordlessly slit the throat of his longtime associate, also that Jesse and Walt and even Mike can see that, uh, and all you all you say is Gus arrives, sees Victor's cooking, changes into a lab suit, slits Victor's slits Victor's throat with the box cutter, then changes back to his work clothes. If that's how you're going to sell that scene to me, uh, you're gonna you're gonna plummet in your in your grade so i say c minus maybe even d plus as i talk to myself about this i think d plus for this one josh what do you think what's your grade
1: yeah, i'm gonna go with i'm gonna go with c minus uh, mainly because it's very a uh, paint by numbers it's very uh by the book here and i will say if you dedicate as much time in in words to hank buying minerals on mineral ebay whatever it is as you do to gus you know killing victor here then you've got a problem with the summary so c minus for sure could be lower but but uh, i think c minus is is fair
0: yeah okay yeah so c minus d plus somewhere somewhere in that bad range it's uh it's it's like one of it's like one of uh jesse pinkman's chemistry tests when he was in walter white's (laughs) class
1: yeah exactly so we're not starting off well with these summaries but hopefully those can improve throughout season four zach let's Go into broader thoughts and themes before we talk about best scene best writing best moment you had noted a couple things here the first one you had on here was why was victor killed do you want to talk a little bit about your thoughts on why gus chose to kill victor and not jesse or walt
0: yeah so i think the question of why not jesse or walt is a little bit more understandable to me um you they, know they're the guys who who cook they're the guys who know the cook and even though Victor is proving to Gus that he knows how to follow the step-by-step checklist formula to make meth, Gus is not a dumb guy. Gus understands that there's more than just following the recipe, right? Um, that might be able to work for some time. But what about when the methylamine supply dries up, for example, right? What What about using a different precursor and still being able to maintain the same purity, right? Victor's not going to be able to do any of that. And Gus is not stupid and absolutely recognizes that. Um, So that's why I think he doesn't kill Walt and Jesse. Now, you could say he might kill Jesse still because Walt doesn't actually need Jesse, but I think he knows that Walt's a stubborn enough man that Walt's not going to let um, let Gus get away with killing Jesse and, and, and still work for Gus. So in that sense, it's understandable why Gus doesn't kill Walt and Jesse. So to me, the question is why Victor? Why does he kill Victor? And I think there are a couple a couple things to this or a couple possibilities, and maybe it's all of them, right? But one one and I think the most obvious, probably the most plausible one, is that Victor gets himself seen in full measure, the last episode of season three, when he goes to Gail's apartment and sees that Gail is dead. He gets himself seen by the bystanders there. And then runs off. So in that way, he he has associated associated himself with the crime. And we hear Mike ask Victor about that earlier in this episode, right? Did you get yourself seen, et cetera? And then Mike calls calls Gus. We can assume, I think, that Mike has told Gus Victor got himself seen. So Gus probably thinks at that point, okay, Victor's got to go.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, he he got himself seen at the scene of the crime.
0: Yeah, exactly. That, that's that's kind of Seen
1: at the crime. Yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, so th- that's maybe like the first level of why Victor. But there's another possibility too that might factor in that occurred to me, which is that Victor is, he's kind of flying close to the sun. You know, this is kind of like the Icarus syndrome or Icarus effect where Victor says, I've seen every step of his cook. I know what to do. I know how to do it. And he goes about to, and, and actually starts doing it. And that's a problem um, for a couple of reasons. But one is that I think Gus is someone who really values loyalty and who value, who values, um, you know, people doing what he wants them to be doing and what he expects them to be doing indeed. So, you know, the fact that um, this is what Victor is doing without asking for permission from Gus is problematic for Gus, and I think he he doesn't like it. And then there's another thing here, too, that occurred to me that is maybe, um, maybe Victor gets killed in this way, right? It's not just about Victor being silently killed, but he gets killed in this way because it allows Gus to kind of kill two birds with one stone. It sends a message of, you know, to Mike and Walt and Jesse, this is what happens when you step out of line. This is what happens when you mess up. So Victor stepped out of line in the sense that he's cooking without Gus's permission. And he messes up in the the sense that he gets killed at the scene of the crime. Um, Yeah. But it's still sad and it's brutal because Victor has worked faithfully for Gus for, we can assume, I think, a long time. He seems very comfortable and he knows what he's doing. Um, And yet Gus kills him without a second thought.
1: Yeah, it is it is one of the most brutal scenes that I can remember in the show. And fun fact, I was reading this on the Wikipedia page today when I was uh, finishing rewatching this episode. Apparently, during the premiere, which they they did at I think somewhere in Hollywood because it was the beginning of a new season, Brian Cranston's daughter fainted when this happened in the show and they had to stop the the you know screening and they called for a doctor and everybody started to freak out because they didn't really know what was going on but she was just sort of taken aback by the violence that we saw you know in this episode so uh, I don't know if it's a fun fact but it was an interesting fact I guess at at the very least I do want to say one thing I, I I can't remember why I didn't choose this for my best writing because I thought it was a really interesting line but when Jesse and Walt are sort of sitting in the Denny's at the end of the episode uh, after you know Gus has let them go you know, they're talking about, you know, what they're going to do next. And, and Walt says, you know, he's going to kill us. And Jesse says something to the effect of, I'm glad we're all on the same page. And Walt sort of looks at him like, what do you mean by that? And he says, well, if he can't kill us, he's going to make us wish we were dead. And I think that that is, goes to your point here of Gus demonstrating to Walt and Jesse that this is what happens when, when you step out of line. And I think he's going to make it miserable for them to work in this environment. Even if he has to pay them, you know, they're not going to like the life that they have here.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, I, too, love that line and should have chosen it for best writing because it was such a good quip, Um, especially because it was one of those rare moments where Jesse is the perceptive one and Walt is playing catch up. Right. (laughs) So definitely it's like glad we're on the same page. Walt says, what page is that? The one that says, right, if, uh, if he's not going to kill us, he's going to make us wish we were dead. Yeah. And and actually, let me just jump ahead to this. So One of my nits to pick about this episode was that Jesse is very sort of carefree when he's eating in Denny's there. And uh, I don't know if that quite does it for me because he's borderline catatonic up to that point. He's, he's, he's almost catatonic when Victor finds him. He takes him back to the lab. And Jesse doesn't say a single thing. Until that diner scene and then he's just like, you know, throwing down some pancakes and eggs and all that and uh, and kind of walking Walt through this. But I wonder if that's because, you know, it's it's here that Jesse has like really found hopelessness. And I think we might have more to talk about that uh, with respect to the next episode. But it's, it's almost like maybe this is a turning point. It's kind of a silent turning point for Jesse this scene or this this episode rather. Um, but maybe it's a turning point for him because he's recognizing that uh, this is it. You know, uh, I'm done now. I I'm already at the point where I wish I was dead. I'm on the, I'm on that page. And so I might as well just enjoy the uh, the pancakes that are in front of me and get on with my life.
1: Yeah. My interpretation of that is that he probably thought when he was sitting in the lab that he was going to get killed. Like, I don't think that he thinks that Gus is going to spare his life, especially we were already, we already talked uh, briefly about this, but. Jesse's not really useful in the production of this meth. Walt can do it all by himself. He could have a monkey as a lab assistant and still be able to produce something that Gus would want. So I think that Jesse is sort of it's sort of like that initial adrenaline rush after his life is spared, that you know, he's able to sort of be a little bit looser when they're when they're eating their breakfast or whatever time of day it is. That's my interpretation of of why he goes from, you know, catatonic to as you put it here, chatty Kathy, which I think is great, great term. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, well, let's move into best scene because we've talked a little bit about this and I don't know how much more there is to say about it, but uh, probably a couple of things. But this is, we both chose the same scene. This is the Gus killing Victor scene. And we're going to hear a little bit about of the scene, but I think what's most interesting about the scene is that Gus says nothing yep, exactly. until the very end of the scene. And so what we're what we're going to hear is Walt you know, just sort of spouting off whatever he can say, because I think at this moment he thinks that he also might be killed here. So he's trying to play defense here saying, you need us, you need us like, please don't do this. Like we can, we can still cook for you, whatever, whatever. Uh, So we'll hear a little bit of that about, you know, this scene, and then we'll talk a little bit more about it
0: without us, without Jesse and myself, you have no one to make your product. Certainly not him. This, this person doesn't know what the hell he's doing.
1: Been watching him for weeks. Know every step to his cook.
0: Oh, do you really?
1: Yeah. So, you know, Gus is just silently dressing in the lab suit while Walt is, is, is spouting off these different things. He's, you know, Gus is then circling them with this box cutter in his hand and, you know, it's just a verbal back and forth between Victor and and Walt at this point. So I think what's most interesting is that Gus doesn't speak. And I, I want to get your opinion, Zach, you know, why was this decision made? I obviously in, you know, from a viewer's perspective, it makes it, it makes the character of Gus creepier. It makes him a little bit more evil than you would expect, you know, from, from a person like this. So what's, what's your take on this?
0: So when you're asking why, was the decision made are you saying from like vince Gilligan's standpoint or from gus the characters
1: i think both i think probably initially from vince Gilligan's standpoint this is a an episode he wrote so why do you think he chose to have the character go this route yeah i
0: think um a a number of things come to mind but you know we've talked before about how walt has this tell when he gets anxious when he feels like he's in a predicament and needs to get out he just gets really really talkative and that's kind of his his way of dealing with it. It often works. He can lay on the charm. Um, Skylar's one person who uh, always sees through it. But it, it can work and it does work. And we've seen it work. Um, Gus is different. Gus's style is, is to just handle everything with consummate calm. Um, you know, as even keeled as could possibly be. Um, and to you know always let everyone in the room know that he's the one in control he's he has matters in his hand and i like how this scene juxtaposes those two styles um and i think gus does the silence thing because he's maybe keyed in on that as walt's weakness right walt doesn't shut up when he's under pressure um he doesn't yet have i think maybe he will And we'll see that, but he doesn't yet have the the kind of control under strain that Gus does. And so this is a this is kind of an innate power dynamic that's going on here, where Gus knows Walt thinks he's going to be killed here. Gus knows that Walt is up against the ropes. Um, That analogy comes to mind because I just saw uh, Creed two this evening, (laughs) so up (laughs) against the ropes is uh, is fresh in my mind. But Gus knows that he has he has Walt you know pick your boxing analogy uh, in the corner against the ropes whatever. Um, and he can ratchet up that pressure by saying absolutely nothing, which is kind of a rare place in which to find yourself. Right. This is not the silent treatment. This is making Walt dig a bigger and bigger hole for himself all throughout, um, it, which is which is really interesting to watch. And I think that's why Gilligan chose to do it this way, because it works. It really ramps up the dramatic tension for this whole scene.
1: You know what I find interesting about Gus as a character is that on his own, he's not intimidating at all. You know, you have to think that one of the reasons he's able to pull this off is because he has people like Mike. He has people like Victor who are there being the muscle of all of this because if Mike is not standing behind them with a gun and Victor's not standing in front of them with a gun, there's no way that Gus with a box cutter is going to be threatening. I mean, Walt and Jesse are not the you know the the beefiest of guys they're not the most you know manly of men but i feel like they could take down gus if it was just two on one oh, you definitely, know so yeah. i think that what's interesting here is that gus what what is important to point out here and it's uh we'll just jump ahead here because it's your best moment but you pointed out that mike's reaction to gus killing victor is is. is almost shocking in and of itself because mike is not someone who who often looks shocked by anything oh no yeah not at all and and you point out here in in your best moment that that mike's face it's like drops open yes and i think that 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 just goes to show you the power that gus has because mike has fallen in line here and gus has complete control over them as well And so I think, you know, Mike is probably thinking that happened to Victor, it could happen to me, like if I'm not paying attention. And so, you know, I just find that dynamic there that, you know, that Gus has, is this very meek, you know, uh, man, you know, seemingly, and yet he has exerts all this power and control over all these different people. It's fascinating.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with you. Um, Like I said, or like you said, that was my best moment because we, we haven't seen Mike be surprised like that. We saw Mike get upset when Victor was seen at the scene of the crime, but we haven't seen Mike be genuinely surprised at anything. He's the one who always knows what's coming, who knows how to find the bugs when they're in the room, who knows how to place the bugs, right? Who knows where to procure a dirty firearm when he needs one, et cetera. I mean, that's the Mike that we know. And here we have Gus doing something that is too severe, even for Mike, which is, it's kind of alarming for the viewer, right? I mean, you you almost expect to see Mike in that scene, like looking with his borderline sleepy expression that he always does. But <laughs> instead his eyes are kind of wide, like what in the world am I witnessing right now? This is insane.
1: Well, since we're talking best moment, let me just briefly give my best moment because it's it follows this scene where Gus kills Victor. Now Gus leaves and he you know, expects them to clean up Victor's body. And Mike actually makes Jesse and Walt put the body in the barrel. And at first, they're sort of like struggling to get him in the barrel. And the reason that I like this as a best moment is because I find it so interesting that, despite all you know the 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 way that they've you know integrated themselves in this the crazy meth business there are still moments that make them completely uncomfortable and show just how out of their comfort zone this whole thing is. Like you can imagine if Mike was was loading Victor's body into the barrel, it would have been very cut and dry, it would have been quick, it would have been fast, and, and he wouldn't have thought twice about it. But Walt and Jesse still struggle to do some of these things that are required you know of this this business that they've gotten themselves to be a part of so that's why i chose it as my best moment it's just a it's interesting to watch their reactions you know trying to load this body into the barrel and they can't really they're not they're not sure how to do it because this is not something they're used to doing
0: yeah uh, that was a it was a good moment for sure uh, but you say it's not something they're used to doing a follow-on comment to that is when they're getting ready to pour in the hydrochloric acid over victor's body and Mike says, you sure yeah. this is going to work? And um, Jesse says, trust us. And <laughs> the implication is we've done this before. Of course, they did with... Um, what was Crazy Eight's cousin's name? I forget his oh, name. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I can't remember. But they've done this before, right? And Mike gets that. He's, you see the recognition on Mike's face. Definitely. And he's like, oh... <laughs> okay
1: yeah i mean certainly they've grown and they they know not to put it in a porcelain bathtub this time that is probably you know to fall fall through the ceiling but you know they still look uncomfortable and and just to say my my honorable mention best moment because i don't think we're going to talk about this in the episode but this whole hank uh and his mineral thing i just find really humorous and i love some audio for you josh if you want oh please yes please play this audio you're ordering a new rock i'm bidding on a new mineral a nice one I just love that there's such a misunderstanding between Marie and Hank she's like you're ordering a rock and he says no I'm bidding on a mineral. It's like there's this it's like there's this eBay for minerals that he's, you know, on. yeah It's such a strange hobby. You know, he went from beer making in season 2 to now bidding on minerals because he's, you know, in the bed trying to recover from his injuries from the uh, the shootout. So I just find that a humorous moment in an otherwise pretty dark episode. So I was right, talking to,
0: I was talking to Sally um earlier today and she's seen through Breaking Bad once and yeah. that's probably going to be it forever for her but um I was was saying I was actually telling her how this was your choice or one of your honorable mentions for a a scene and um I said do you remember when you were watching it and Hank gets into collecting the minerals and then Sally goes Oh, yeah, the rocks. And I was like, no, they're minerals. minerals.
1: Yeah, exactly. All right, well, let's move on to best writing before we wrap things up here. We both had two different moments, so I'll throw it to you first. Uh, Zach, what's your best writing nominee for this episode?
0: Yeah, so actually staying on the theme of uh, Marie and Hank, it is right there where Marie, again, just, I mean, she's a good person. She's trying to encourage her husband who is in grueling physical therapy, trying to relearn how to walk. um, And she's trying to encourage him and he is not having it so tell me all about it i heard you broke new ground today
1: i broke new ground
0: that's what he said
1: tell me i walked 16 feet in 20 minutes which is up from like 15 and a half yesterday and i had maybe this much less shit in my pants so yeah marie if you and him and Everybody else in America secretly took a vote and changed the meaning of the entire English language. Yeah, I guess I broke new ground.
0: So typical uh, typical <laughs> Hank, always cheery, always looking on the bright side of things.
1: That's pretty harsh. That's yeah, pretty harsh it for is. your wife who's just trying to be nice.
0: I know, I know. It was tough. Of course, the reason I liked it for best writing is the, um, I mean, as we've discussed, now I wish I had done the, uh, the Jesse Glabber on the same page line, but... You know, hindsight's 2020. 20. I like this because it has the typical Hank dry humor in an otherwise very dark and mostly wordless episode. It just gives us a you know a dash of the one character who says more than any other character I think in the whole show.
1: Yeah, the one thing I really like about the scene is when I was rewatching it, I was thinking, you know, like he survived this horrific injury. Like he should be grateful to be alive. You know, like why is this person not more grateful? But by the end of the scene, you know, he, they're, they're, it's mostly wordless. They're showing Hank having to use the bathroom and he has to use a bedpan. And it's very, um, it's it's just sad. Like, it's a sad moment for this person who really wants to be able to do things on their own and has to have their, you know, their wife help them go to the bathroom. And, you know, you see him pulling himself up. And I think that was a great choice to end the scene with because it just shows that, yeah, there are reasons that this person might still be, despite having survived, yeah. might still be uh, really sad. All right, so my best writing goes back to the very beginning of the episode, and if you thought we'd seen the last of, of Gale, we had not. He got a flashback at the beginning of this episode, and this is when the construction of the lab is still going on, which if you want to see more about that, go watch Better Call Saul, because they show you how that was initially started by, by Gus. But Gale is talking about the purity of Walt's meth. And there's a line in here that uh, we're going to hear in a second that I want to talk about because maybe I'm reading too much into this, but uh, well, let's hear the, the little dialogue first and then we'll talk through it. After all, how pure can pure be? It can be pretty darn pure.
0: Mr. Fring, I can guarantee you a purity of 96%. I'm proud of that figure. It's a hard-earned figure, 96 However, this other product is 99. Maybe even a touch beyond that. I'd need an instrument called a gas chromatograph to say for sure. But um, that last 3%, it may not sound like a lot, but it is. It's tremendous. It's a tremendous
1: gulf. Okay, so... The reason that I like this, the very last line here, he's talking about the difference between 96 and 99%. And he says, it might not seem like a lot, but it's actually a tremendous gulf. Tell me if I'm reading too much into this. To me, this is emblematic of what we're seeing from the character of of Walt as he descends on his path into darkness. Because I think what you're seeing here is a representation of if someone is 96% bad, versus 99% bad. It might not seem like a lot, but maybe it actually is. Maybe there's a point in which you are doing certain evil or bad things where you reach a point where you go from 96 to 99 and it's, it's a huge leap. So maybe at 96 you say, I'm not going to kill this person. Maybe I'll just beat them up. But at 99%, you would go all the way. Or, or something like that. Am I reading way too much into this? Or does this make any sense? No, it does make sense. The only thing
0: I would say is that, you know, you're talking about 96% bad, 99% bad. What Gail is saying is about purity, right? And so um, if you turn it, if you turn that around to like a to a moral statement, you know, it's it's pretty good to be 96% good, right? <laughs> right. And, and that 4%, right? Because the 96% covers like you're not murdering. You're not stealing. Right. You're not running around cheating on your spouse. Uh, things like that, right? But then the last three percent, or I mean, really the last four percent, gets you to perfection, and nobody can be perfect. So let's say the next three percent, the next three and change, sure. right? Get get to like ninety nine point five or whatever. That's gonna be uh, that's gonna be other things, right? That's that's gonna be a lot harder, and it's gonna be like shutting down what we in Catholic moral theology would call venial sins, right? Um, yeah. So, you know, not tending to gossip, right? Just not saying bad things about people, not being uh, not even thinking bad thoughts, indulging bad thoughts about people, things like that. that That is a tremendous gulf, right? Because it's one thing to follow the obvious um, visible sins. Or, or to refrain from the obvious visible ones. It's another thing entirely to, to not give in to the, the venial ones, the ones that are invisible, the ones that are, you know, little white lies, the ones that seem to not have um, negative effects, et cetera. And so I think the reason why, just to go back to your point, the reason why that's a, it's a tremendous golf is because like, even those little ones still cause problems, right? Yeah. Um, And so this actually ties into Alana's contention about how complex Walt is at the very beginning of this series. He might not be a bad guy, right? Maybe he's, quote, only 96% pure, but that that is enough of a crack. That's enough of an opening for him to descend, if that makes sense. Yeah.
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, I'm glad that I brought this up to you because you articulated it much better than I did. I was just sort of rambling on, but you took no, no, what not I at said all. Not at all. And, and made it made it uh, totally clear. So I'm glad that I brought that up. All right, Zach, before we move on to our MVP votes, I don't have any other nits to pick unless you, uh, you mentioned your one. Do you yeah. have anything else?
0: Nope, that's it, just the one. I mean, so honestly, I wanna... this was, I mean, this, so it's not a nit, but I think it's a criticism this this episode could face. It's slow, right? Yeah, and, very slow. Um, I think- You know, again, I just talked to someone this past weekend and said, like, have you seen Breaking Bad? It's an amazing show. And they said couldn't get past the first episode. This is a common criticism of Breaking Bad. Um, And I think it's it's a bummer that it kind of falls, falls victim to this where people assess it based on how quick or slow it is. I mean, the episodes certainly kind of ebb and flow. and It's just interesting that the Gilligan is not afraid to start a season slow. Not afraid to at all. I mean, um, you know, season one, season two starts slow. I mean, they all start slow. He's not afraid to do that at all. And again, I think there's there's a moral lesson there too, right? Like the the banality of evil in a way. But the yeah. interesting thing is now we're in season four. We're not starting out with any Pollyanna-ish stuff. This is slow, but, you know, two thirds of the way through the scene, we watch a man get his his throat slit open with a box cutter. I mean, this is this is serious stuff and we are deep in it at this point.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of that has to do with sort of like the culture we live in now. Everybody wants to be entertained in yeah, a minute, yeah. you know, or however long TikTok videos are, which I, I have no idea. I I know they're short, but I refuse you know, to get a TikTok account. Oh, I don't have one. I've just seen TikToks, but you know they're sure, short. Yeah. I think fifteen seconds, twenty seconds, something like that. Anyway, okay. Before we go to MVP, I wanted I wanted to say three things before I forgot. Uh one, I've actually met a Breaking Bad actor and he appears for the first time in this episode we didn't talk about him much but it is Saul's bodyguard Huel. yep so it's played by an actor comedian named Lavelle Crawford when I was at my previous job he came in and visited very nice guy and you know he is a very big guy but he's actually lost a lot of weight big
0: in real life right
1: yeah, but he since since Breaking Bad, he's lost a lot of weight and he appears in Better Call Saul and uh, he you can see his tremendous weight loss. So good for him. He's a very he, nice guy. He we're, we're coming up on it, but he is in one of my favorite all time
0: Breaking Bad scenes. And uh, oh, yeah. I'll, I'll just I'll just lay that out there and I'll mention it when we get there.
1: I hope it's your best scene when we get to that episode. Oh, of course it will be. So the other thing I wanted to say, we had a Holly cameo. We have not seen Holly almost at all. And it was funny at first when I saw her in this scene with Skylar trying to get into Walt's apartment. I was like, why is she in this in the scene? And then I realized Skylar uses her almost as bait to like get herself into Walt's apartment. So poor Holly. Uh, But certainly gets more screen time than Walt Jr. in this episode. He gets a breakfast line and that's it. And then lastly, I wanted to say Vince Gilligan won a Writer's Guild of America award for writing this episode. So, uh, you know, one of his uh, only, I think he won two and he won one for the pilot as well. So there you go. All right. So to wrap things up, Zach, MVP pick for this episode.
0: Oh man, honestly, I don't know how you can go with anyone other than Gus. I think it's absolutely incredible that he just totally wins that scene and in, in my mind wins the episode barely uttering a word and not uttering not uttering a word until as you mentioned the very end of that scene.
1: Yeah. I'm going to go with Gus as well and we'll keep that part short. So Gus now has uh, he now has 4 MVP votes so he is moving up the rankings. I'm sure, you know, thinking about this season, he will have more to come. He has a big part to play in season 4. And that leaves Jesse and Walt still at the top with 15 apiece and We'll see if they can climb the MVP rankings as we go on. Zach, I think that's all I have for this episode. It was a little bit longer, but we were able to get to some listener feedback, so that was exciting. And again, if you have feedback for us, please send it to BreakingPod at VernacularPodcast.com. We'd love to talk about it on the show. We'll be back next week with Season 4, Episode 238, Snub. Until then, I am Josh. And I'm Zach. Have a great week.